Next up, we have Mike and Tor. Here we are, your slides up here. Mike and Tor work for uh, a law firm that is defending the guy who was running uh, Bitcoin Fog. It was a it was the Bitcoin mixer, and uh, they they have come to realize that chain analysis and then the chain analysis ecosystem may not be uh, looking out for all of our best interests. So they're, they're going to be doing a, a fantastic talk on that. And then we're also going to have them on the chain analysis panel, which I, I think is tomorrow. I think that's tomorrow. So guys, come on up. I really appreciate it. Guys, like I said, if you get that cup, you get coffee all weekend, you're going to need it. You're going to need the all-you-can-drink coffee, I guarantee it. Uh, this is going to be a marathon. Uh, thank you, guys. Take it away. Do we have two working microphones? How do, how do you guys want to do it? All right. Yep. Hey, everybody. Thank you for coming out tonight to hear this important case. And first off, I'd like to clear something up. Doug said that he uh, he was the operator of Bitcoin Fog. I'd like to say that he was not the operator of Bitcoin Fog. This story is how an innocent user of a mixing service can get caught up in the apparatuses of the United States government, courtesy of Chainalysis, and wind up in an absolute Kafka-esque nightmare. My name is Mike Hazard. This is Poor Eklund with the story about Roman Sterling up. And um, there's not a single piece of evidence. Nothing. In anything that we've been given by the United States government that ever shows Roman Sterling off operating Bitcoin So how did we get here? Um, this starts in 2003 when Roman Sterling off is 14 years old and he moves from Russia to Sweden with his mom leaving his dad behind. And I mentioned that because the United States government was for a while obsessed with Roman being a Russian. And everything in this case was Russian this, Russian that. And this case actually starts at the National Security Desk in Philadelphia, the Russian division. But jump forward a little bit to about 2009, 2010, Roman is an early adopter of Bitcoin. Um, in January 1st, 2011. Akamashete Omadetu. Now, Akamashete Omadetu means Happy New Year in Japanese. And this is the pseudonym that was used for the creator of Bitcoin Fog to promote his new mixing service on the Bitcoin platforms. And it's a crux of the evidence that the government uses to say that Akamachete Omadetu is communicating and sharing knowledge with the Darknet marketplaces. Darknet, very scary, right? You know, like Agoro, Silk Road, and the like. This is where the criminality comes from the mixing services. So, uh, one thing about Amadeo Amashito, his name I'm never going to remember. I'm just blow that at trial. Um, that's happening years in Japanese. You might notice that there's some Mount Gox accounts up there. Well, Roman, because early on there's really no exchanges, he's a, he gets a Mount Gox account early on. They're taking all of their like IP address matches thing that basically what they say is that he used the same IP address as the shoreman at hotmail.com 
email address, which actually, if you look at the Microsoft search warrant returns, it's registered in someone else's name, a person named Andrew Wright in San Francisco, who did the crypto, and there's all this stuff in, in, in the throughout discovery this case, of this guy. Throughout this case, you have evidence pointing to other people. But the investigation beginning with Roman as a target and the confirmation bias perpetrates and, and lies throughout the investigation. It paints the investigation. So Mt. Gox, which everybody probably knows, is uh, run out of Japan and was run by somebody named Mark uh, Karpilas. Um, Mark Karpilas, interestingly enough, is um, arrested in Japan and convicted for um, falsifying Mt. Gox data. So Mt. Gox data we have in this case is all on spreadsheets. And we read, uh, if you're familiar with Andy Greenberg's book that just came out, Tracers on the Dark, The Global Hunt, for the crime lords of cryptocurrency, some crap like that. Um, and if there's a story about Rodrigo goes from everyone's favorite firm, Jan Allison, because this case is very much uh, the story of Jane Allison's rise and how they go from a company with a zero dollar valuation to the black box government surveillance firm they are today with an $8.6 billion valuation. In 2014, Michael Groninger's over in Japan. He's working on the Mt. Gox hacks. And um, Mark Capellis, who the government just refused to subpoena for today, um, gives Michael Groninger a thumb drive of all the Mt. Gox data. Michael Groninger looks at it and says, there's missing files here. There's files that have been deleted. This data is corrupt. And he says, what's up with this? Do you?" What's up with this? And he's, oh, yeah, our servers got hacked. They physically got accessed. And Michael Groninger asks him, do you have a backup of the data? And he says, no. Okay, well, this Mt. Gox data, almost the entire crux of the government's case, because that's what they used to say that Roman is using this pseudonym to talk Bitcoin talk. And when, when this Amadeo the whatever, Happy New Year's on Bitcoin. He's talk, he talks about running Bitcoin Trollop and how they keep server logs, how he's got a whole staff. They do all sorts of stuff. Well, you guessed it. There's no server logs in this case. There's nothing. There's no servers. There's no communications. There's nothing. We're a little bit mystified how they even called in on Roman. Like one of our guesses is that Mark Bayless is trying to throw somebody under the bus and just like grab somebody randomly from Mt. Gox. Well, it does appear, it does appear that the investigation started with a target on Roman's back. Because this investigation starts at the Philadelphia desk of the Russia Security Office of the United States. The agent on that case who initiated it and sent the intelligence out to the FBI intranet targeting an investigation had been for money laundering criminal enterprise money and listing Roman as one of the people who they think might have done it, was set up and, and set around by a woman named Catherine Pelker. Now, this is in 2014. Now, in 2023, Catherine Pelker is the lead prosecutor on this case. So this puts us in an interesting position because in the United States, you can't call a prosecutor as a witness. You have a right to call an FBI agent who's your accuser under the Sixth Amendment as a witness. So what happens with person who the original and originating FBI officer, your accuser, who then goes to law school where the case is transferred to, to Washington. She went to Georgetown 
and then she gets admitted as a lawyer and becomes a prosecutor on this case. This case is her baby, and she's been building her career on this, on the back of an innocent man. So in the United States, you, you can't you represent somebody as a lawyer in a case that you're a material fact witness. Every, I've been doing computer law for 10 years, uh, defending people accused of computer crimes in federal criminal court. And in every single case I've had, I have cross-examined the FBI agent who investigated the case. So Catherine Alden Pelker, who is now the lead prosecutor on this case, was the originating FBI investigative agent. And so when we first met with the government, uh, I looked at her and I said, you can't be a prosecutor on this case. You're a material fact witness. And she just looked at me and said, no, no. And I don't know what to say to that. So right oh, now there's like a big battle about whether or not she's even going to uh, testify. But I, it's just one of the like really numerous insane things about this case. And it goes on and on. There's so many things like this that just do not add up other than the fact that everybody involved with it, from the prosecutors, the government agents, to chain analysis, have been doing this entire and conducting this entire investigation and prosecution with dollar signs and stars in their eyes. Yeah, so chain analysis comes in at 2015. This is one of the first cases that they ever work on. And if you know anything about chain analysis, the way that they've made their money, essentially they've uh, built relationships with the United States Department of Justice, which has a $44 billion budget, and the Serious Crimes Office in the UK, which has a, a similarly huge budget. And so you see them working on this case, but one of the interesting things to me is they're working on this case, they're working the relationships. Um, it starts with Treasury, and it goes from Treasury and the IRS over to the FBI, because Helker brings it over there, is that they're talking to Andy Greenberg and basically the press the entire time, which is a big no-no on a pending federal criminal investigation. This has not gone to trial yet. It goes to trial in September. And um, when Wellman is finally arrested in 2021, after what is like seven years of investigation, oh, by the way, they uh, in 2017, Roman goes to the United States. He goes to Miami with his girlfriend. They put him under physical surveillance, you know, they put him under wiretap. And then they do something called a pen trap, which is where they, they catch all your internet signal traffic. You know what evidence they got there of him operating Bitcoin fog? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So fast forward to 2021 when they decide to arrest him at the airport. Um, DOJ always does press releases when they arrest somebody. But before the DOJ press release comes out, uh, the Wired magazine runs an exclusive because they've all been talking to Andy Greenberg because they've all got stars in their eyes. And that press release features Jonathan Levin, who's, I can't remember, he's the CEO, CEO or CTO. Co-founder of Chainalysis, of Michael Groninger. And he coyly, even though that Chainalysis has been working on this case since 2015, he doesn't say, oh, you know, this is a victory for Chainalysis. He doesn't even mention that Chainalysis has been working on the case. What he says is, this proves that this type of blockchain forensics works. About uh, four weeks later, they do a series E fundraising round for $150 million. And if you look at DOJ press releases and you match them up with chain analysis fundraising rounds, you see that there's a correlation, right? And if you're a company, I mean, this is kind of obvious, that is trying to sell software, uh, tracing software to a big client like the United States government, you're not going to sell any 
if you're not successful. So I think one of the key problems with this case is that the profit motive has distorted everything in it. And they've just turned their eyes away from anything that contradicts them. And I think they thought that when they arrested him or at some point they would find evidence that he was operating Bitcoin fog, but they've absolutely, absolutely failed in that. They've fallen on their face every single time. When Romans in Miami in 2017, they have them under pen trap, they have them under surveillance, they find nothing. When Roman lands in LAX, sees all of its computers, they get his backup codes for his crypto accounts, they have a huge bag with all of his hard drives in it, nothing. And you see this in the discovery, every time the government thinks they're going to make something, you know, they think they're going to find something, they're going to find the golden knife to be able to prove that he ran Bitcoin fog, they fall flat on their face. And it's repeated times in the discovery where we have agents working on the case, particularly a character named Aaron Weiss. And every time they fall on their face, you know, and, and he, he starts to question, uh, do we have the wrong guy? Is our entire investigation misguided? Well, yes, it is. But they continue anyways, because this book is being made, because they're getting jobs at analysis. And it just it goes on and on and on. And, and the victim of this entire incestuous relationship between Chainalysis and the federal government has resulted in an innocent man being locked up pre-trial for over two years, waiting his day in court. Eric Bice is one of my favorite parts of this case. And uh, the, the, the doubt that he was expressing that Michael's talking about, see him, he, he, they're, they're, he's like, oh my God, you know, what if... What if what if we're wrong here? What if it's this other person that we're looking at? And he's like, oh, Which has a lot of I'm not gonna look at it. I'm not gonna look at it. And he does something else that's very interesting and I've never seen in a final criminal case before. He's working for the IRS as a criminal investigator and he starts a private company called Exigen LLC. And it works on this case, and we can't find any of the contracts or they're not giving us any information on it. But when Roman's arrested and the press release comes out, uh the press release thanks all, all these government agencies, all these, you know, blah, 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 blah. But at the top of the thank yous, like, you know, idle page billing, as they would say in the theater, um, it thanks Exigent LLC. Well, guess what happens five months afterwards? Chainalysis buys Exigent. They're an undisclosed sum, which we think is probably millions of dollars. And Exigent now has a $10 million revenue stream in, uh, from the United States government. And Chainalysis has about a uh, 300 $30 million revenue stream. And it's worth $8.6 billion as the last accounting. And Chainalysis also hires one of the prosecutors on this case, who is another senior legal advisor, Yuli Lee. So again, going back to what kind of evidence is the government building their case on? They're claiming that Roman in 2011 registered the domain name to the bitcoinfog.com website not illegal and the statute of limitations on what they're they're charging him with is uh five years so it's six years outside of the statute of limitations even if somehow you could construe it as illegal which i don't understand how you could um the other thing they're saying he did is they're saying that he sent some transactions uh to bitcoin fog like they're calling them beta transactions before uh bitcoin fog was announced to the public in october 2011, but uh, the tracing on that's a complete fucking mess. And everybody who's had a look at it says, this is not interesting. We're working with some very competent blockchain experts, and every time they take a look at the evidence in this case, and every time they take a look at the work analysis is done, 
they're coming up to us and they're saying this is ridiculous. This is completely false. This is misguided. This is not correct. And then so the other piece, piece of evidence that they say that they had is in 2014, Roman has been working for a Swedish marketing company, right? He works for this marketing company, uh, doing internet stuff. Uh, Bitcoin's appreciated enough so he can quit his job. So he quits his job and um, he is a user of Bitcoin far because somebody tells him at one of the meetups, you should do this for privacy and security concerns. And even Chainalysis, I love this report, Chainalysis has this report that says 90% of the people who use mixers use them for legitimate privacy reasons. So he takes the, the, the Bitcoin he's accumulated, right? And Bitcoin that he bought with his paycheck, which the government knew nothing about his job or anything in his paycheck, which is like bizarre too. Basically this entire, there's no eyewitnesses in this case. Everything in this case is people sitting in a desk a thousand miles away from Sweden. So he starts coming some of that money and putting it to a KYC Kraken account. It has his name, it has his ID, and he starts to use it as his regular crypto account. He had consolidated all the different wallets that he had, put them through Bitcoin Fog and into his Kraken account between 2014 and 2015. Now, this Kraken account was seized by the U.S. government, and they refused to give it up to him to pay for his lawyers. This is a whole other part of the, the case. So this Kraken account, the government is saying, because it came from Bitcoin Fog, and we can say it, show you through the Chainalysis Reactor software that it came from the Bitcoin Fog cluster. Like, what's a cluster? Right, a cluster, fuck, if you ask me. And uh, they're saying that because he sent his money through Bitcoin Fog, that that's proves that he was getting the service fees. Now, if you take a look at how much money was going through Bitcoin Fog, its net worth and the amount of money that's in that KYC Kraken account should be astronomical, over $96 billion. You know, it's relatively modest. It's less than $2 million, and he got it because Bitcoin had appreciated from 2011 through 2014-15. Now, when you take a look at the nature of the Kraken account, look at the transactions on it, you can see that it very clearly shows somebody who is living off the appreciation of their wealth. At the beginning, there's some deposits and deposit, 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 right? And then you can see him when he quits his job, start withdrawing from it. He starts living off of that Bitcoin and the appreciation. When the, when the amount starts to go down a little bit around 2017 and he's not accumulating any more Bitcoin, he starts to get worried. You know, he's like, he starts trading it. And then around 2017, you start to see the trades, right? So all the evidence is completely consistent with Roman's story that he had put his own money into the Kraken account and was living off of it. Now, when his trading isn't working out, he begins a couple of businesses. He starts a music studio in his hometown of Gothenburg, Sweden. He starts a VPN business with servers in Romania. And the government found out about these servers. And it's one of those moments in the case where the government falls flat on its face once again. They go to Romania, they seize the servers, you can see in their communications, they're all excited. They're like, we're gonna get the Bitcoin Fog servers. We're gonna be able to prove that he operated Bitcoin Fog. And then it comes back with a, with a relatively lame VPN uh, business to kind of go anywhere. And once again, the government just falls flat on its face. So how do we end up with Roman sitting in jail for two and a half years, awaiting trial? in Washington, D.C., a town where he's never set foot in, he's never done business in, and he's got no family or friends in. And this is where everybody in this room who's involved with any kind of digital currency, this is where you should be worried. This is scary because it could be anybody in this room. What they do 
is they decide in 2019, after spending millions of dollars in this investigation and going nowhere, they decide, some IRS agents decide, all right, we're going to go mix some government Bitcoin or a Bitcoin fog from Washington, D.C. So they they interact with whatever the Bitcoin, what they think is the Bitcoin fog help desk or whatever. And they send a message that's basically like, oh, hi, uh, we'd like to launder some drug money. We just sold some Molly. Is your mixing site a really good site to mix this drug money on? No response. They mix the money. Uh, they put it back in the government wallet. And two years go by. And uh, the government gets an alert that Roman, who is now concerned about his future because of the volatility of Bitcoin, and decides that, okay, you know, you know he's turning when he's like 30, turning 30. It's like, I need to get a backup career or something in case, you, you know, everything falls apart. So he decides he's going to become, uh, he wants to become a commercial airline pilot. So he signs up for a flight school intensive in California. He flies to California. He lands at LAX. FBI agents are walking down the aisle on the plane, and you know he doesn't think it's for him, of course. And they get to his seat. Roman, will he come with us? You know, put the cuffs on him, take him to a back room in LAX, and start accusing him of all these crimes that he's committed. And he's like, "What the fuck? What the fuck is this?" You know. And all of this was based on these government transactions, these IRS transactions, because the United States government is trying to expand its jurisdiction for criminal charges through the internet globally they're saying that they interact with your website and they're sitting in dc and you happen to be flying to the united states that they can take you arrest you and put you on trial in dc do you love coffee and monero as much as we do consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup pay with monero for premium fresh beans and if you like what you taste Send a digital cash tip directly to the farmers that made it possible. Use Monero to buy gifts this year. Everyone has coffee drinkers on their list. For a limited time only, get 10% off of three, six, and 12-month gratuitous.org coffee subscriptions. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. And that's a little constitutionally problematic. Uh, Very constitutionally problematic. For any of you, U.S. Constitution or like me, um, there's something in the United States Constitution called the venue clauses. And what those clauses say that uh, they say that any federal criminal trial has to be this, in the state and the district where the crime occurred. And the reason that the framers put that in the United States Constitution in, in, during the Revolutionary War the British Crown was arresting American revolutionaries in Philadelphia and putting them on trial in London when you get a very, very different jury, right? But so what the United States government is essentially claiming in this case is basically what Mike just said, universal jurisdiction over the internet for any prosecutor who logs onto the internet, goes to your website or whatever, or not even your website, they get to your website, and you don't even know about it, and then you go, Landed at a U.S. airport, and you entered jail for two and a half years pre-trial like him. Now, in the United States, there's only two reasons that you can be held with or held pre-trial incarceration. The first is that you're a threat to the community. You commit a very violent act, and the government's worried that you're going to go out and do it again or hurt somebody else. You know, they can detain you and not give you bond. 
The second reason is that they're considered a flight risk. In this case, the government in the bond hearing said Roman is a flight risk. Why? Oh, because he had four passports on him. Now, any of you who are familiar with either Russia or Sweden know that in Russia, you're given two passports, one for internal travel between the different oblasts, and the second distinct passport for international travel. In Sweden, they're kind of internationally oriented. You know, they want to make sure that their citizens can go visit any country that they want and please to. So they give their citizens a passport as well as a backup passport. In case you want to go to, let's say, a country like Saudi Arabia, you're around and go to Israel, you can use a different passport. So all four of these passwords were completely legitimate. And the government could have found this out simply by checking to see if they're real, by reaching out to Sweden, reaching out to Russia. They chose not to do that. They told the court that the passports were fake. And I think that typifies their entire approach to this case where they're desperate and they need to play dirty pool. And that's what we're dealing with every step of the way through the case. Before I mentioned earlier, we subpoenaed Mark Carpelis because we need his testimony at the Daubert hearing, which is on the validity of the evidence that the government was used at trial. And they say, the next step, sir. We subpoenaed chain analysis source code but refused to give it to us. We tell Ms. Talker that you're a material fact witness in this case. You're the initiating FBI officer who starts this investigation that you're Roman confirmation ball rolling with this investigation. Again, sandbagged. Nothing. We subpoenaed Jonathan Levin and Michael Groninger and we, uh, Chain Analysis' lawyers that were fighting with them on this too, told us that they're basically too important to testify at a federal criminal trial. Try to get the money out, the money that was seized from Roman's tracking account, show them the evidence of the how it was deposit, 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 you know, withdrawal, withdrawal, gets worried that it's losing, starts trading. Again, the court and the and the government says that, you know, it can't be released. Now, one thing did come out of that hearing, though. One thing that I think everybody in this room is going to be interested in. It was the first time that an Article Three judge looked at the evidence around mixing services and said mixing, per se, without anything more, is completely legal in the United States. That's big. It's the first time that a judge or any government officer has come through and actually defined and said mixing is legal. You need more. You need more. You need to be mixing illegal funds for it to be illegal. Now, now that was a big thing. And I can see also, you can also see the judge's skepticism um, about the government's case. But uh, he had to, just for tactical reasons, assume that Roman was the operator of Bitcoin fog for the purposes of that decision. But it's going to be a very different standard at trial. But uh, one of the reasons we've been going around is because they seized all this money. We're doing this case with absolutely uh, no money, but you know, so what? I'm committed to it, and that's what we've been doing our cases for years. And um, so, anything anybody could do to help fund women's defense, we'd appreciate. We did get um, what's called Criminal Justice Act funding, which is like cut rate funding. And so, I was all excited about this, and I'm doing all the paperwork. And then they told me, yeah, I'll um, probably get paid maybe after trial. I'm like, that's great. This is going to be a month-long trial in Washington, D.C. on September 14th with, you know, multiple experts. And curiously, no witnesses, because this is something that, you know, I asked to me about this case. Now, one of the interesting things also is that all the blockchain analysis, the chain analysis that's coming forward and and the government is using to identify Roman as a purported operator of Bitcoin Fog. The entire blockchain forensic industry 
completely standardless. And they're completely refusing to show us any of their math. We've been sandbagged on that front as well. We asked to see chain of this reactor. We asked to see the input data sets that they use. We asked to see that everything, and, and, and they've said no. In fact, none of it has been turned over in discovery. So in many ways, Chainalysis is acting like this wizard behind the curtain, and we're just supposed to trust them, trust that their analysis is correct, even though we know that nothing in the blockchain forensics world has accepted standards. And we've come across this in other cases as well. If you're dealing with, uh, let's say, e-discovery, you know, these standards on how e-discovery is supposed to be shared and presented and what, what it's worth at trial, these standards are thought about at a conference in Sedona, Arizona, you know, they release uh, peer-reviewed papers where they talk about the standards that are made and why they should be this way. For blockchain forensics, there's none of this. There's an interesting book by Chris Fabricant from the Innocence Project called Junk Science. And then he talks about how new kinds of forensics, when they're coming out, you know, fingerprint forensics, DNA forensics, dental record forensics, when they're new, they're often inaccurate. In fact, 51% of the of the wrongful convictions that the Innocence Project is able to overturn have been the result of this kind of junk science. And that's exactly what we have here with analysis because they're trying to make up their rules and they're not, they're not showing us the work. And this is the first time uh, that analysis is going to be challenged in a U.S. federal court at trial. Um, if you're familiar with the U.S. system at all, 90% of the cases go to a plea people just take a guilty plea because they don't have the two to four million dollars you need to fight the united states government a lot of people in the united states who are innocent take pleas for that reason it's a it's just basically turned into a police system of uh, the rest of the other 10 percent of the cases eight percent are dismissed two percent actually go to trial less than one percent result in acquittal so you, you can see the there because uh that's just a great system and i in it 10 years. But we do have an interesting opportunity here. Because of all of the cases, you know, I don't want to say, you know, but the, the, the defendant is guilty. You know, and there's corroborating evidence to prove it. Here, we have somebody who is completely clean. This is our chance to challenge chain analysis. This is our chance to challenge how they manipulate data forensics in order to support the government's opinion and get those big contracts and get those jobs at chain analysis when they leave DOJ. The fact that Roman is innocent is incredible. Yeah, I mean, when we got this case on our desk a little bit because we kind of thought, oh, you know, like everybody does, this is the natural reaction. You must have done something. You must have won somebody, right? I figured, okay, well, we'll just cut some fucking deal. Even didn't do this shit. He probably know somebody or whatever. And then we went down to talk to him in jail, and we talked to him for five minutes, and we were like, holy shit, dude, you're innocent. And I believe the innocent. That's the game changer, and we've just been on a crusade since. And everybody we brought in on this case, and now we've been fortunate to have some very, very good people working on it. We tell them, we just say, listen, if you see one thing that makes you think he's guilty, you let us know. To date, nobody's pointed out anything to get really, really pissed off and work on this case harder. And I want you to really thank Doug, because Doug put us on the Monero podcast. And that was the first podcast where we actually got a chance to tell Roman's story. Once that podcast got out, we got invited by a man named Lucas Bechart, who runs the Swiss Bitcoin Association. He said, you know what, this is really, really fucked up. And then we want to help spread the word. So he invited us to Europe, put us in touch with the other Bitcoin meetups. We went to Direct, Munich, Berlin, Stuttgart, 
And these were the people, these were the same meetups that Roman was attending back in 2011. And it gave us an opportunity to get to know his tribe, where he comes from, what kind of ideas are being passed around. And we've been on a couple other podcasts since, and, and now, you know, the momentum behind Roman's case, it's really just starting to build, you know, and, and it's because of people like you in this room who are hearing this story and thinking, hey, that's fucked up. You know, we can't let this happen. I think we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. I mean, we're happy to answer your questions. We're also going to be around all weekend. At uh, We have one person in the back. Do you want to think? Sure, 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 of course. Hey, first off, like, round of applause for these guys for fighting for it. Um, I, I didn't... I didn't mention this during my talk, but I mentioned reporting on the crypto space. I was in New York City during Ross Solbrick's entire trial, and Andy Greenberg was responsible for all the horrible stories about Ross painting him as a kingpin, you know, all this criminal activity. So it doesn't surprise me to see that journalists is on Roman's story. Um, and so I'm happy to help in any way I can to amplify this story as well. But is there a main website that people can find to find? Perfect. Awesome. If you just go to uh, torecon.com, there's a link with info on the case and how to donate. You, you get you guys need a Monero donation address. We do. We we, do, we have one. We have one. If you go to the website, there is one. No, we we put one on. A perfect example, right? I, I may not want the world to know that I, I've donated to this uh, campaign, right? And we've been getting Monero donations. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, no. It's not. <laughs> and but. And by the way, my, my opening faux pas where I basically said he created Bitcoin, that's the problem, right? So it, it, it's guilty. It's guilty to. Right. Right. It, it's it's no more innocent until proven guilty. Right. And they, they win by by owning the mind share and getting getting the work. Like all of us here. Right. We're we're, we're you know. We are by far the, the, the super minority, right? We're very suspicious. But the vast majority reads a headline and just assumes this guy's a criminal. Uh, hearings. No, we're saying that the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this guy's guilty. There's no evidence. Like, why is this going on? Like, just release him already, right? The prosecutors come up to us and they say, no, no, this thing wasn't coming up to us. This was on the fucking record, dude. That's just to the judge. This, And they say... You know, the defense has to prove that he's innocent. And we're like, wait, what? You know, I, I heard that. It, you heard that at federal, federal criminal court. The transcripts. A prosecutor said that the defense has to prove that he's innocent. And this just shows, like, they're not used to trials. You know, they're not used to guys like us coming back up and it's a person and go so gung-ho. When the government takes all of its money, you know, we're going months without rent. We're fighting the case. We're going around the world to tell people like you, you know? Everyone's not used to this. They're used to the police system. You know, they better get used to it, though. Any any other questions? What what is you know? I just want to do the minute. What do you guys think this means for Monero, right? Which is default private, doesn't require any mixers. But there's this worry that the government may just try to ban something like Monero. He spoke about that mixing itself uh, has been defined legally defined as being legal, um, is there, should, should we be concerned that perhaps the United States might try to ban Monero or, or some other some other major state, or is, is it an absurd notion? 
I think that uh, it's much more likely that the government is going to use these standardless junk science forensics justification and try to convince the government and try to convince people that they could trace it, whether or not they can't, because apparently they don't have to show their data, show their map. You know, I think it's much more likely that they're going to use a company like Chainalysis to, you know, try to doubt to these kind of cases. And that, that's the most dangerous thing. I think the United States government um, wants to control all the currency in the world, and they're losing their mind when Bitcoin and Monero and everything. And they seem to think that anything involved with the digital currency is somehow criminal. It's it's just it's this weird psychology to have. So I would be concerned about that. And I will, I think there's a lot of questions. which is great. And these guys are going to be on our chain analysis panel too. So there'll be another hopefully another. We'll one. be hanging out all weekend. Too. Uh, go ahead. Um, a few years ago, there were a lot of um, people using algorithms for sentencing and all this sort of thing. And the case got pushed up to the U.S. Supreme Court and Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts issued an opinion that said that, you know, all this machine learning, it's basically a bunch of gobbledygook. And are you going to be able to use that higher court opinion in order to force the source code for chain analysis to be revealed? Uh, I'm, uh, our argument is essentially, if you're not going to show us this course court, you should, none of this comes in as evidence. And and they they're saying they came back and uh, and they they moved to quash our subpoena and they were basically like our stuff's proprietary and we were like fuck you don't you voluntarily chose to go into the law enforcement business and if you want to put somebody away for 50 years to life, show the damn map. And, and, and one of the things the themes for us in this case is Roman's not hiding anything. It's the government hiding anything. Woman's not making any money. It's the government and chain houses making all the money. You know. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally down with that. I hate, I hate those sentencing algorithms. The other thing with the sentencing algorithms is that the sentencing guidelines are completely arbitrary, and they don't really make a lot of sense. You know, you might have somebody who committed like a really heinous crime, and he kind of under the sentencing guidelines doesn't get nearly as what somebody who did a very relatively minor crime. So when you input sentencing guidelines into AI, you're just going to get like convoluted, like terrible results that nobody would really think is just. And I think that's one of the major themes of this case overall, is that there are being profits and fame are being placed over top of justice. When you have private companies like Alice that's coming into the law enforcement space and trying to hide their work and trying to make money and go on for private equity funding rounds every time there's an arrest release, and then coyly saying that, oh, because there's an arrest, that means that our software works. You know, this is dangerous justice. And Andy's book, by the way, has been optioned uh, by Hollywood, an Oscar-winning documentary filmmaker named Andy Kibney. It was Andy, Andy Kibney, right? Alex Kibney, thank you. Alex Kibney. We thought about subpoenaing him, too. but I have a couple of questions here. I mean, I've been studying of what I call blockchain surveillance, which, in fact, is a whole bit of time in my, in, in, in my kind of claims of countries Conceptual analysis do that, um, and, I'm, and I'm actually of the opinion that it doesn't work on Bitcoin. Um, one of the main reasons and motivation for this is that one of the justifications for the list Monero for exchanges has been the fact that it breaks this type of um, blockchain surveillance. My question is going to have a trouble. Are you aware of any evidence of failure of blockchain surveillance in other cases or situations, or data that would indicate or add questions? To that failure? That's a really good question because what's interesting about every other case except for this one is that they've got some kind of corroborating evidence that 
confirms what they were saying that their, their tracing showed. So it's hard to tell actually how good the tracing is because when, uh, for instance, like Ross Ulbricht, he's arrested in, in a public library with his laptop open to the admin panel for Silk Road, right? There's another case called Harmon where a guy accidentally takes, uh, he takes his Google glasses off, he accidentally takes a photo of the admin panel. So it's not clear to me actually how effective tracing has been in these cases because almost all of them are also plea deals. So it's not a plea deal because the entry standard is so low, like nothing gets tested. And that's why this is the first case where anybody's going up against them for real. So it, it's hard to tell because, it, you know, I mean, the whole analysis is a probability analysis, which is basically fucking guessing. And we are seeing all sorts of mistakes all over the place. So I, I couldn't imagine that being a problem elsewhere. Yeah, those cases, you know, like Carmen is just such a funny one. That's what I was trying to mention, you know, how he takes the Google glasses off and that's their main piece of evidence, you know. But here, there's nothing. There's absolutely no corroborating evidence. You know, there's no logs, there's no nothing. And, you know, this is almost working against them. Because the government is coming out and they're saying because there's no evidence, it's evidence that he's a mastermind cyber internet criminal. You know, he was so good at hiding it that he must be the creator of Bitcoin Fog because they're so sophisticated. And they're sophisticated because they can't trace through it. That's why Roman wound up in this situation. Because through all, even through Chain Alice's lies and, the, and their misguided blockchain approaches, you know, they still can't find the real operator of Bitcoin Fog with that anal analytical methods that they're using. The mixing service work, and it scares the living shit. My my, my second question, I'm just already referring to evidence outside of the of the legal realm, um, and in particular, uh, there was a um, a report put out by the Financial Action Task Force, where they sent um, hired I think seven different blockchain surveillance companies to measure the percentage of illicit activity in the uh, Bitcoin blockchain. And, and I think it was about a four or five year period uh, for each year. And the ranges, the averages that they got range from 0.4% to like 12.5%. Are you familiar with this report at all? No, I don't know that, but I haven't found any peer reviewed papers on any of this crap. Like chain analysis, Thing. I, like it's one of the I think problems with the this whole field is it's based on heuristics, which is the Greek word for guessing, and it's incredibly subjective. Well, the, the reason I'm saying this is because what that would indicate to me is that the averages statistically are so far off it's quite impossible to get any reliable evidence in an individual case. I mean that that's why I'm saying. And so it comes to the next question. Um, apart from obviously fundraising. Are there other ways where we in the Monero community can help you gather or at least information upon this sort of the flawlessness of surveillance in the general sense that will be helpful to the case? And how will we go about doing that? Absolutely. We've already we've already gotten a lot of great ideas from people because you first of all, you just email us. If you go to our website, there's an email, it's an info or com, reach out to us because we've got our heads in this case so deeply we miss the obvious sometimes i think it was like like in zurich or someone, someone just made this great point they were like if this guy is such a criminal mastermind and he's such a genius and he's like cleared all his tracks and there's no evidence 
why the fuck is he using a KYC Kraken account to take the royalty payments? And you're like, yeah, right? Like, like, yeah, right? Like, there's stuff in his diaries where he's talking about how broke he is, right? Like, because, like, just sort of like the cloud mind anything. Like, take a look at it. If you've got, if you think something, just reach out to us and talk to us about it because we're not like super geniuses or anything. I'm probably stuff I'm, you know, missing. It's just like, you know, we welcome the help. Thank you guys for speaking today. Um, my question is so a little advertised fact is um, that the CEO of Kraken, Jesse Powell, is a co founder of Channel. Uh, any plans to subpoena him and try to make it uncomfortable for exchanges to associate with chain analysis and rely so heavily on their analysis? Yeah, so we found the same thing. In particular, we've taken aim at Michael Groninger. You know, in fact, we sent him a subpoena today, which they're waiting to hear back from because we want him to testify as to the Mt. Gox records that he got from Mark Arpilis when he was trying to build chain analysis. See, so Michael Groninger co-founded chain analysis with Jonathan Levin. And they did so on the back of trying to find the missing Bitcoins through the Mt. Gox hack. And it was only through this book that we learned this story. You know, nothing in the government's discovery. So where the Mt. Gox records came from, how they were messed up. But we have to find it in a, in a public book from our regular bookstore that's going around. So yes, we are targeting Michael Groninger because he uh, is affiliated with Crack, but also because he built chain analysis with the same Mt. Gox records that the government is now using to accuse Roman of this truck It's a mess. The Twitter Dax attack is that It's the, the Mt. Gox data is a total mess. And so when we read in the book, that uh, it had been given to Groninger and Groninger was like, it's corrupt. We were like, oh, you know, that makes sense. You know, well, that's a good question. All right, Pavel. Thanks. I have just two short questions. The first question is, uh, apparently for uh, chain analysis, this was or should be like the huge reputation scandal. My question is, uh, did they apologize him? Maybe stupid question. I do not expect it from the U.S. government, but but uh, but from this private company, if, if it is my, if it is if it was my private company, I would do that. Um, they've been uh, really contemptuous to us. They told us that they were too important to testify. They quoted some of my shit from my Twitter feed at me, which I always love it when people do that. Um, but they've been really arrogant. They've um, refused to cooperate at all. Uh, my impression is that they don't give a shit about whether or not they've got the right person. The most important thing to them is their money and their government contract. And and uh, if we get an acquittal, they're the first company we're suing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a lot. Yeah, yeah. They hired, like, Bunch of people from okay. Thanks a lot for this. I would expect it. Um, and the last question is uh, probably you know the, the technical details of Ross Ulbricht uh, process, legal process. I know that in his legal process there were a lot of like mistakes, especially like a, uh, gathering the the proofs and everything. So do you believe that it's likely in the near future that his case will be opened again in in change? And he like uh, and the the I think he has like a double life 
recent? I think Ross. Uh, um, and it's okay. unfortunate. I know. I like. I, I've spoken to Ross. I, I talked to him briefly uh, when he was going to do his court appeal. I know his mom. I know. Um, uh, I almost actually had, took that case, and I'm not going to comment on how that was handled. Um, but um, I, with there's this. When it comes to this kind of stuff and these kinds of computers and the kind of stuff that everybody in this room is doing, and like Doug, you were saying, you know, you're the minority. The majority of people don't know anything about computers. They view it as a kind of black magic. They don't understand it, and and it's it's a, a an odd phenomenon. But I've seen it in every single case I've had in the last ten years. They they view it like it's a kind of witchcraft. And Ross got demonized, and he got demonized as this you know evil guy killing people and and all this this stuff and i think why well, now it's a fact that when you get in prison if you're like i've had hacker clients that go into prison though i've had clients who got like uh were convicted for copying email addresses off a server who spent the majority of their time in solitary confinement because there's this they think that oh my god they're going to get on a computer and they're going to end the world from the jail it's completely irrational um i hate to say it i mean I, people should keep fighting for Ross. I know people who helped get him out of the supermax don't give up you because I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think he's kind of fucked just because of the prejudice and this view of anybody who's good with computers as being some kind of like evil, dark witch. I mean, hackers in the computer crowd, they're the new witches as far as, you know, and DOJ sees anything, any kind of digital currency, anything, they just see it as criminal. And and also just a threat to their their control, their financial system. But they have to prove that it's criminal. You know, this is where we have an opportunity. You know, like we mentioned earlier, there's no uh, there's no standards in these digital forensics. Through this case, we have a prime opportunity lined up. You know, the all line up on the tee for us to really challenge the analysis and the relationship with the government and the government's use of these inaccurate blockchain heuristics to block people up. Now, th this is the first time it's ever come about, and, you know, who knows when the next time will be, because all these cases go to please. So, there's there's a lot of uh, people here who know quite a bit about digital OPSEC, and, uh, you know, every everybody uh, might focus on things like a guy getting burned by his own Google glasses, or, you know... Uh, people buying and selling drugs using crypto via text message or something that's already compromised. But uh, I would very much appreciate if you guys could comment on the old school techniques of just keeping yourself off the radar. I'm old enough to remember like the how to never get arrested again because, you know, you they used to have this law about weed. I don't know if I remember you know, people couldn't smoke weed back in the day. Like, but if you could just bring up, there's a lot of young people watching this right now who don't know about the old school techniques of just not getting on the radar in the first place. We got, we got to give this one to the OG. <laughs> don't put yourself on the radar. <laughs> they should. Well, I, well, I, you know, that's the thing is just like with um, what's so crazy about this case is he wasn't putting himself on the radar. He wasn't doing anything, and that—that's what I think is so. Scary. Oh, yeah. 
other case, you know, the otherwise, a lot of the guys who I, I've repped who got popped mouthed off a lot, or they bragged. And 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 there's something else, man. Like um, you could be really, 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 really good, but the really, really good people that I've repped who got popped, they made one mistake. They made one mistake, and you make one mistake in this, in this world. In, in, in computer land, and then they've got you. And then other times people do explicable stuff, like um, I had a guy who did this, all this really cut a really interesting work, but he paid for his, you know, secret European server uh, with his own credit card and in his own name. Or the other thing you see happen is people, they, they set up accounts before they even got into stuff or whatever, and they forgot about them. Like it's, and that's what's incredible to me about this case when they seized all those computers not a trace on any stuff of him doing anything. I've never seen them. People I talk to have never seen them before. So don't, like, yeah, keep a low profile. Because, I mean, I think the lesson in this case is, is again, going to Monero and privacy is, like, they just grab you if they just see you. You don't even want to be seen. And I think that's why, you know, people are, are here. I think this is important. Because it, it, it's like you're, you innocent people get grounded by the government. I know that for a fact, and that's what this case is about. And so you should be laying low, man, and like covering your tracks, even if you're as pure as the driven snow. Yeah. Um, Everybody's support on this one, you know? The $50, $100 donations, you know, from everybody really adds up and supports room because, you know, he was feeling terrible a couple of weeks ago, you know? He was just so down, you know, it's locked up in this prison in Virginia, and we're over to Europe, and, and he gets a hold of Taurus' cell phone, and, you know, we tell him about all the support that's starting to come up for him, how his, how his words starting to spread. You know, people are making T-shirts over there. People are going on radio shows and podcasts and TV talking about this. And, you know, we told that to Roman, and, you know, you can see his fighting spirit. You can hear, hear his fighting spirit coming up, looking forward to this trial, you know? And then it, it's built, right? And then a couple of days ago, we get this plea offer from the government, right? And Rowan calls us. We're talking about the plea. I don't want to hear about the plea. You know, I want to talk about the case. We're taking this shit. You know, I'm like, that's the fucking right attitude, man. Let's fucking go. Let's take down chain analysis. Let's take down DOJ on this one. You know, that's great. Uh, so there's this uh, wallet called Samurai Wallet, and they have a whirlpool. And these people insist that they're bulletproof from any kind of U.S. action. I, well, I know it can be a kangaroo court and all that, but um, is, is that? But I've also seen a lot of mixing sites go down, even outside of this one. And so, is the problem with the other mixing site? I mean, I, there's also this come from this judgment that said that mixing is not illegal in the states. But is the problem with all the all the mixers that have gotten arrested that they actually take custody of your coins and then give them back to you or is is that was has that been the problem well it it, it appears that every time uh, a mixer like helix or or a bank like liberty reserve from costa rica that, that gets taken out with the united states government they're taking that entire data set and giving it to chain analysis to try to make chain analysis stronger you know and these other uh analytical firms like oxt wallet you know breadcrumbs you know their data sets show a different story. So we can take the same wallet address and we can put it through OXT 
and it'll have a different result than when we put it through breadcrumbs. And I would love to try Chainalysis Reactor, but you know they don't give us any access to it. They're a black box government surveillance firm. But uh, you know, I think that Sarah Wallet, they're they're doing great things. You know, they they're trying to help us on the case. These are the kinds of people got some OXC, got some breadcrumbs. These are the minds that are behind us. And these are people who are invested in taking down Chainalysis because they're Chainalysis editor. And we're kind of just letting them take it and run with it. And, you know, if they find something great, show it to us. We'll try to present it in court and free an innocent man. I wouldn't use a custodian on this just based on this case. Just to take it full circle back to Monero, Monerotopia, would you suggest using Monero? Does, does Bitcoin put you at risk of being falsely accused of crimes? Yeah, and actually, it was uh, some of the only uh, uh, digital currency that the government didn't seize was Monero, and we were actually able. To yeah, that, get, that was great. We, yeah, we were actually able to get his Monero and fund the case a little bit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. He had a uh, yes, a Monero on an old account that the government uh, they didn't they didn't seize it, you know. And we put it on his financial statement, and we transferred it into uh, the firm's crypto accounts. And then the government comes at us and they're like, where's this money coming from for his defense? We're like, it's, it's his own money, man. You know, it was, that was bizarre, man. Like, I, it's, it's, it, what's the, the, they have to ask, the problem with this, there's, it's like really irrational. It's not a rational process. And that's the one thing people don't understand because they think, oh, DOJ, all these people, they see all these shows that these people are rational, completely fucking irrational. Guys, I think when, when is the trial? When is the uh, September 14th? It's probably going to take about a month in Washington, D.C. Please come if you're in D.C. because we need people to fill our side of the courtroom. Um, and we'll be, we've got uh, what a blog going on the Geyser uh, site. If you go to our website, we'll have updates and everything. And you can, we'll be around all week. The, the, the website has donation links for regular old Bitcoin, Lightning Bitcoin, Monero, and Fiat. So in any way you guys want to support, we love it. I know Roman needs it, you know, and the more money we get, the more money we have to fight these guys. They have an unlimited budget. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, David and Goliath kind of fight we're dealing with here. But thank you all for coming out. And thank you for the interest you've shown in this case. I know Roman appreciates it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Awesome job. Greatly appreciate it, guys.